Well, I can say last service I had something happen that's never happened to me in 36 years of ministry. You're going, what is that? Well, about a third of the way through the message, I asked a question, and a voice answered me, saying, I do not understand the question. Somebody's Siri actually... <laughs> I don't know how that happens, okay? So if you have your Siri on, turn it off, please. I don't know. How, it really, it did. It was back there. I didn't know what it's. I didn't know it was Siri. I thought it was just this voice from back here. Somebody, and I couldn't understand what they said. But it was loud enough that people in the whole section back there heard it and started laughing. <laughs> totally lost it for a while there. I couldn't figure out what I was talking about, and I had to get back up my nose. Going, where am I? Oh my gosh, you know. I didn't know if my zipper was unzipped or I said something weird or you know I didn't know what the deal was. I had that happen. No, not that part, but anyway. Uh, but, you know, things like that. So I'm going like, wow, it took, took 36 years, 37 years to have a disembodied voice speak to me in a message. I thought maybe it was God. <laughs> but it was a woman's voice. So it was kind of confusing. <laughs> so, according to what your theology is, okay? Okay, we are beginning a brand new series, as Nate has already shared with you in an announcements today. A brand new series. There it is, up on the screen. I don't see it back there. I see it up here. And this series is called You Are Here. And as he's already explained to you, it's going to be over the next several weeks, five weeks, we're going to be doing this series. And basically it's this, is we have all different places that we live out our faith in, different locations, different places. Today we're going to start with the mind because it's probably one of the most important places to start because so much of what we do in our faith has to do with what we think about. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The next week, uh, Chris and Brandon together are going to tag team teach about school and about how that works. And it's not just about school, but about parents and how you can encourage your students and as well and as, as that. And then the following week, I'll come back and teach about work and how we live out our faith at work. And then the following week, we're not really sure who's going to teach that week. The reason is because uh, Jake is coming here a little bit earlier than he thought. And so originally, he's going to do the last week on church, but home, which is Mother's Day, uh, he's going to be moving that week, and I told him, I said, Jake, if you don't need to, you know, if you need to move and stuff, don't feel I can teach, okay. So he's going to let me know uh, this week what we're going to be doing about that. So either Jake or myself will be teaching that week, and then we'll fin finalize that. Uh, then Jake will come in. It, it, definitely his first week, maybe his first week, will be the 21st, uh, and he will be leading up. And that's when we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary as well. We'll be talking more about that along the way. Today, though, we're starting with the mind. Now, I don't know about you, when you think about the mind, one of the first verses that comes to my mind is Romans 12, 2. Probably one of the most famous verses that deals with the mind. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're talking today about how to renew our minds, how to make sure our minds are focused on the right things. And I want to tell you right up front, this is not a happy message today, okay? Because it's, it's a message about the struggle that you and I, as believers, have within our brains, within our minds, and our thinking. Because some people think that when you become a Christian, what happens? You know, I, all your problems go away because, you know, you've got God's Spirit living in you, and things just kind of like, you know, just kind of level out. And, well, the Apostle Paul, who to me is one of the great teachers of all time besides Jesus Christ, and wrote, you know, two-thirds basically of, of the New Testament, um, he says in Romans 7, that's where we're going to hang out today, Romans 7, by the way, uh, we're going to be there. Uh, he talks about this whole thing of how to renew our minds. 
And, and Romans 7, in a sense, is, is Paul's self-portrait of this struggle with, with two things we'll be talking about. And, and, and in Romans 7, he uses the first person singular pronoun, I, almost 30 times. So obviously, it's about him. It's about him. And the first part of the chapter, it's interesting, and you have to look at the, the original language, the Greek language, and you don't have to do this, but I'm simply saying, trust me, it's true. Uh, the first part up to verse 13 is in the past tense. It's very clear in the Greek language. But from verse 14 to verse 25, it's in the present tense, meaning it's something that's happening right then. And so keep that in mind as we talk about that. And he ends, the, and I'll just tell you it's not exactly happy time, because near the end of his verbal self-portrait, he exclaims in, in verse 24, he kind of concludes this. Before he gives us a good, good last verse and a good, good thing, he says, wretched man that I am. That's his conclusion in regard to his struggle that he's going with as a believer. Not, as, not before he became a believer, but as a believer. And the term wretched is translated from the Greek word teleporos, which you don't have to know, but to mean suffering, afflicted, or miserable. And I thought about this wretched, and I'm thinking about how can I illustrate that. In Virginia, we had a slang term we used uh, for squeezing water out of wet clothing. And last service, they said, y'all don't use this here, so maybe it's something new. It's called, when you take a, a piece of clothing and you turn it two ways, and you, we called it wrenching the water out. You wrench the water. Y'all don't use wrenching? No, it's wrenching. Okay. <laughs> That's Virginia term, by the way, okay? And I think all over the South, people use that term. You wrench it, so you take it and you, you squeeze it out. You squeeze the water out. And kind of like, it's, it's kind of a violent thing to do, uh, but in a sense, Paul described himself as feeling like he had been wrenched, in a sense, um, the life out of him by the struggle that was going on in his life and his mind between two forces he's going to be talking about. And, and, and so that's what... We did now to get, illustrate this to kind of get us started about why we have this problem in our life, these two forces in our life. Let me talk about who we are first before we become a believer, and our in our thing that we still kind of hold on to even after we become a believer in a mindset. Years ago, uh, one of the first high-rise uh, hotels to open in Galveston, Texas. I've never been to Galveston, but I looked on a map and it's an island and it's right on the ocean. It looks like a really cool place. I might have to go visit there like three or four years from now. And, uh, and, and it looked like a really cool place. And it sits directly, this hotel, this, one of the first high-rise hotels sits directly, on, must be right on the Gulf. I mean, it sits right there. It's like literally the windows, I mean, you're, you're here and there's like five feet of, uh, of land and it, it's right down. So what happens is when the staff started worrying about what would happen to some of the people, what they would do when they would go there because these first... Uh, these, um, they worried that people would drop their fishing lines into the water from the guest rooms. So they started, you know, fretting about this, you know, as people do, fretting about things that may or may not happen. And so what they did is they were worried about that. And, and, and so, so first story, and then if they did that, the first story was these big giant glass windows that, that housed the restaurant, okay? All glass. And so they were worried that windows, high winds, and large lead sinkers that you have to get them to get the, the, the thing down to the water would not be uh, a good combination. So the management decided to take matters in their own hands. And what they did is they installed a, a, a sign in each room on the inside of the balcony facing out saying, absolutely no fishing from the balcony. What happened? 
You can guess. Guests in the first story restaurant often dine to the frequent uh, uh, smack of lead weights against the plate glass window. The windows were broken multiple times. Finally, finally what happened was the people managing the hotel realized their error and they made a wise decision. That decision was they moved, removed all the signs from the guest rooms. You know, guess what? Problem solved. No one ever fished from the balconies again. You know what you call that? Rebellion. We're told to not do something, so what do we do? We do it. It's, it's, it, it. Paul used a term in Scripture there, and he talks about it throughout Romans and in several locations. He calls it the flesh. The flesh. Now, it's used in other locations in Scripture, but Paul uses this term unlike anybody else. And Paul uses the term flesh symbolically to represent us as humans in our fallen nature. And the flesh is programmed, he says, to think like the world system, the, the world system, which is a perverted version of God's original created order. And it continues to oppose God's wills. That's what the flesh is. So, you know, like they tell you not to do something, what do you do? You do it. And, and to be in the flesh is to be thinking and acting in concert with the fallen and depraved world. So that's, that's kind of what Paul talks about here, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But you're going like, well, don't when we become Christians, we get rid of that? Let's, let's, let's look at what the scripture has to say. Romans 7, verses 5 and 6, and we're going to look at a couple of verses here, then we're going to jump down to verse 14. Uh, verses 5 and 6, remember this is in the past tense. He says, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, and when is that? The realm of the flesh he's talking about, when we were not followers of Christ, when we have not accepted Christ, when we were there in the realm of the flesh, sounds like some kind of kingdom or something, you know, uh, the sinful passions aroused by the law. That's an interesting statement, right? Aroused. The sinful passions aroused by the law. You know, like, you know, putting a sign up that says, don't fish. That's a law. Not really, but it's kind of law. But what do they do? You do it. The law, in a sense, God's law, was the things that before we were Christians that, that direct us to uh, help us to understand what God wants us to be doing and being. The, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what we were once, what once bound us, we have been released from the law. Keep that in mind. Importantly, huge concept. We've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit. So he's talking about two things. The flesh and the spirit are the two things that Christians have to deal with. And not in the old way of the written code. So he basically is saying now, you see, once our relationship, uh, after we become Christians, our relationship with the law has changed. Because we have a new nature that isn't opposed to the law of God, to God's law. And Paul calls this new nature spirit with a capital S. And God's spirit, he says, all of us have received. And so instead of living in harmony with the law by studying it and following every letter of it, which none of us can keep anyway... We allow the Spirit of God who cannot disobey to live through us. That's the difference now. But, so what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, verse 14, present tense. Okay, Paul says now, he's a Christian, he's a follower, he's writing scripture. Verse 14, he says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. He said, now I perceive the law, now that I'm a follower of Christ, the law, I perceive the law is not something that, that, that hinders me. But it's spiritual and good. And the trouble is with who? With me. 
For I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, this is getting to the crux of the matter. The problem so often we think is when we become Christians that all this stuff goes away, all the flesh stuff goes away. Let me just ask, let's do a survey this morning, okay? You're not going to want to participate, but you can do it anyway, okay? Those of you who call yourself and believe that you're followers of Jesus Christ, you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, do you ever struggle with, let's just use the term, sin in your life? Thinking or doing things that you know that are not a part of the law. Ever do that? I got both hands up. Okay, thank you, okay? So the deal is not like all of a sudden that stuff goes away, right? We still are in the flesh. We, our fleshly nature is still a part of us. But when now we have a new nature, a new the spirit nature that lives within us. And so we have these two competing uh, natures. And, and the thing is this, uh, we have to understand uh, that that's going to be the way it is forever until we die. Two competing natures. Now, I told you this is not happy news. Well, there is happy news in verse 25 if you want to look ahead, but don't look ahead yet, okay? So the law, for its intended purpose, is to call us into account for sin and to expose the sinfulness of our fleshly nature. Now, a modern-day illustration of this, something that exposes something that's, that it, it helps us to understand it, is kind of like this. Um, not very long ago, not many years ago, I know we all live in the modern ages and all these kind of cool gadgets and stuff, you know, Siri that talks to you during services and stuff like that. But, um, but it used to be not many years ago that people usually didn't find out if they had cancer until it was too late. Right? You probably know people 20, 25 years ago that, you know, that they found out by the time it was fourth stage, fifth stage, or I don't know how many stages there are, but uh, four, I guess. Anyway, but the deal is... Is, and, and, you know, and so the first symptoms usually led to a, a bad news from the doctor, right? Because it was so late in the, in the ball game. But then something miraculous was invented. It was called an MRI machine. Now, I don't understand all the details about an MRI machine, okay? I do know that it works. It, t- it takes pictures of your insides in detail. And people that know how to read the MRIs, um, a trained eye can examine the image and locate cancerous tumors long before the patient presents any symptoms. And so if the MRI leads to a diagnosis of cancer, the patient, uh, you know, I mean, would the patient, this is where the, the, the uh, Siri uh, talked to me last time, uh, the patient, if an, if an MRI led to a diagnosis of cancer, would the patient be foolish to blame the machine for the illness? No. It, didn't, it diagnosed the illness. That's what the law does. For us, it diagnoses the problem that we have. See, if anything, the patient should be thankful that the problem was discovered early enough to be treated. In essence, Paul is saying to us here, he's saying, I did not know that I was dying from the disease of sin until the law revealed my terminal condition. That make sense? That's, that's the purpose of the law. Furthermore, the law showed me that I loved my disease, he would say, and I loved it so much that I wouldn't do anything to keep it because I like living in the flesh. But I was living like a dead man. I was a dead man walking. And by pointing out my problem, the law demonstrated that I was living under a death sentence in a real sense. So the law points it out. In a sense, the law is God's diagnostic tool. Just like an MRI is a diagnostic tool for health, the law is God's diagnostic tool for helping us to understand 
what is healthy in regards to our relationship with God. Its purpose is to expose the disease of sin and to confront us with the diagnosis or prognosis that this disease is deadly if, no more, if you don't treat it. But it's completely, the good news is it's completely curable in regards to the, the disease of sin. Okay, so what's the problem then? See, before someone believes the flesh serves sin and feels the condemnation, but, and even if you or I want to obey the law consistently, we cannot do it when we're, when we're uh, without Christ, without his spirit. We can't do it. But once someone has received God's grace through faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, and so begins the good news and the bad news. The good news is now we have the potential in us, his spirit living within us, that allows us to, in a real sense, to, uh, to overcome sin in our life. The bad news is it's taking resonance up with something else called the flesh, side by side. And we have to decide day to day, minute by minute, who's going to win, who's going to be in control. So Paul describes this battle, and this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because it's so human. It is so incredibly human. Verses 15 through 17, Romans 7. Paul says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Never done that? Never said that? Man, why do I do that? I just hit myself in the head if you'd missed it. Okay. I mean, you ever done that? You just want to smack yourself and go like, why did I do that? I know that it's wrong, but I did it anyway. Yeah, okay. Just being real. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. He's going like, yeah, I mean, now that I'm a believer, I understand that the law is good. It's not a bad thing. But it still doesn't help the struggle. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So Paul tells us basically that there's this new nature when we believed in Jesus Christ. It seems though that we were conjoined to a person who loved the very things that, that we hate the most. And the same is true for every believer. Every Christian receives a new nature, one that wants nothing to do, wants nothing more to do than to behave as Jesus Christ behaves. But we, meanwhile, the flesh, the old human nature, wants life to continue as it was. And so Paul continues this description of this battle that goes on. I love Paul. Paul is so real. I mean, how many people that are, that are, that are pious and real want to get up and say, hey, this is, this is the struggle I'm having. Well, Paul says it. He says in verses 18 through 24, continues, 23, he continues his description. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. He's going like, I know I still have this sinful nature living in me. And if I don't be careful... And if I don't deal with it in some way, it'll lead me to do things that I don't want to do. Because he just said that's what he does. And I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's, and then he says this. It's interesting. He's kind of schizophrenic. This is, I almost call this message, all Christians are schizos. You know, I almost call that because I think we are, okay, if we're honest. Schizophrenic, we have two things pulling at us, two, two things pulling at us from different directions constantly. 
He says, I love God's law with all my heart. So then why is he doing all the other stuff? Because he has two things that work in our life. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. He calls it a war. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Now, I told you this wasn't really happy. But it's real. If you think that coming to Christ means that all your worries and all your struggles are gone, you're a fool. And you haven't read scripture. The reality is, Paul is saying, is the struggle is going on and going on and going on, and it goes on forever until, until you're dead. That's the only time you won't have, and he says that in scripture, the only time you won't have uh, uh, this struggle. So why do we keep going back? If we know that, that we don't want to do it, why do we keep doing it? Well, my daughter, my daughter um, is uh, currently living in Knoxville, Tennessee, but when she lived here about four years ago and before that, uh, she was uh, a lead counselor at the Addiction Recovery Center over at Proctor. That was her job. Smart girl. I'm really proud of my daughter. Okay. And uh, we were talking about this, you know, not about people in specific, because she doesn't ever share anything. Like, I, don't share, I don't, can't share with her anybody I'm talking to. She can't share about anything she's talking to. We talk about life and stuff. And I said, you know, it's always been interesting to me, why do people who are addicts, especially with really, really strong drugs, why do they continue to go Tended to go back to those. Because she told me this, she said, she said that most experts would agree that, uh, for instance, heroin, that cold turkey withdrawal from heroin addiction is probably one of the most uh, excruciating ordeals a person can endure. She described it to me. She said there's bone and muscle pain, insomnia, diarrhea, vomiting, shock-like symptoms, and they usually take, they peak at two or three days after the last dose, and usually more than a week before they subside. And the physical anguish would be enough without the psychological trauma the addict suffers as well. Yet even after, yet even after enduring the torment of withdrawal and moving beyond physical dependence upon the drug, many still return to using. They've just gone through this horrible withdrawal. And they go back. See, the problem is the things that encourage the addict to escape into heroin are still present in their lives. And the craving for relief becomes too much to bear alone. And anyone who's experienced, and even going to a more common thing, anyone who's experienced physical dependence upon anything will affirm that craving is never far away. My dad smoked for 20 years when he was younger. And he quit cold turkey. 40 years ago, okay? But he will tell you to this day that there's times after a meal that he still craves a cigarette. After all, tell me, don't tell me that it's not addicting. And he says it's true. And so the thing is, is see, that's why drug treatment experts are unanimous in their opinion. Treating the body to overcome physical dependence is only a beginning of the process. The key to lifelong sobriety lies in treating the mind, which is, in itself is a lifelong endeavor. See, you've heard this before, I know you've heard this before, that the addict is never really cured. Never. The addiction will always remain a part of their life. However, addicts can remain in recovery indefinitely, forever. So what does that have to do with you and me? We were once in sin. We come to Christ. We are all chronically addicted to sin, all of us. 
And long after we are saved, our bodies crave that which gave us short-term pleasure and caused us long-term anguish. We still crave those things. And that's why we go back and we're like, I know that if I do that, it's going to be giving me, you know, a little happiness. But, but now, I mean, I know what it does in the long term. But we still tend to go back to that because we have this, this flesh nature, Paul calls it, and it's fighting with our spirit nature as well. And what, how does Paul describe that? He describes his life as this. This is, this is the great news of the Christian life. It's the cry of the Christian life. Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am. And then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wow. That's not good news. I mean, Paul, super Christian Paul. Writer of most of the New Testament, Paul. A person who was considered, he's saying, hey, I'm a wretched man because I cannot control this. What am I going to do? See, the pull to indulge in craving for sin will always be a part of our lives. At least until he says, until we're free from this body of death. And so he says, for the present, in a sense, we're all wretched. We're all being wrung out because we have this battle going on in our brains. And while Paul's description of his personal struggle with the old nature paints a bleak picture of the future for the average Christian, and it does for me, I don't, know, I don't know about you, I don't consider myself super Christian like Paul. I mean, if Paul struggled with this, man, it's not good news. And Paul uses this word once again, wretched, wrenched. It's, it's kind of, I, you know, when it, this word is so strong, I couldn't, I think, we don't really understand how strong the word is. It, imagine this. This is not a Rocky illustration, by the way, I had two weeks ago, okay? This is a boxing illustration, not a Rocky illustration. Imag, imagine a boxer, after training and going through everything, they go through a 15, they survive a 15-round fight, but they're pummeled, and they're beaten, and they're bruised, and they know that they've lost, and they've had months of training, months of hype, uh, months of dreams of championship glory. It's all gone down the drain. They stand exhausted, demoralized, barely able to see through the swelling around their eyes. And barely able to breathe because maybe they have a couple of ribs that are broken. I mean, that happens in fights all the time. And then to make matters worse, I, thought, I didn't think about this before, but then it happens in every fight. To make matters worse, he must take his place in the middle of the ring to hear his defeat announced to the crowd as the victor stands next to him with his arms raised. See, the, Paul, the fight Paul described had left him wrenched, beaten. I found this to be true, that people, the closer you get to God, the worse that sin seems. Holiness doesn't make you, it just makes you more aware of your sin. And Paul is a man who desired more than anything to make God first in his life. When sin came into his life and temptation came and the flesh started pulling him in a direction, which it did. Because he was unable to defeat his flesh by means of his own flesh, that is, his own ability, he cries out for help. What other than death, what thing other than death can free me from this? And then he gives us the answer quickly in verse 25. He says, and he wraps it up. It's just a little verse, but it's, it's the most important verse here. Thanks be to God 
who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, we have hope. God has given us his spirit. God has given us his grace, his mercy upon our lives. Yeah. Our mind is going to be a constant battleground. But just be aware of it. And understand if you struggle with things in your mind, you're not weird. You're normal. You're a normal Christian believer who still has the flesh and the spirit battling side by side, and we have to allow the spirit to win more than the flesh. And the only way we can do that is not in our own strength. The only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy. That's what Paul's saying. It's kind of like this. Let me wrap this up together, and we'll be finished here in just a couple minutes. Once a believer, once a believer has died to sin and they're in Christ, what Paul is saying here, this kind of wrapping things together, his or her relationship with the law is forever changed. God gave the law to humanity to confront our righteousness and to demonstrate our need for salvation. But once a person abandons his or her, her futile attempts to keep the law and then receives God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the law has served its purpose in their life. That's verses, if you want to go back and read that, verse 7 through 13 of chapter 7 talks about that clearly. And the believer's relationship with the law is then severed in a sense. But the problem for many of us is that we think that our goal in life is to, just to keep the law. That's what our goal is. Once we become a Christian, let's keep the rules. We're rule keepers. And it frustrates us to no end because we cannot keep the rules no matter how hard we try. And we ask ourselves, you know, what, isn't the goal in life now that we were saved to please God by keeping the law? Are we not to become like Christ who is morally perfect? Are we, shouldn't we repay God's kindness by pursuing good deeds and eradicating sin from our lives? Is not our, that our purpose? Now that we are saved from condemnation by the grace of God, are we to, to grow in our Christian faiths, the big word sanctify, ourselves through fasting, praying, studying scripture, tithing, and other spiritual disciplines. If we can learn anything from Paul in this passage in verses 14 through 25, if Paul's self-portrait teaches us anything, it's that self-improvement carried out in the energy of the flesh is a vain pursuit. Can't happen. We're just not good enough. We don't have the ability because we still have both these natures fighting within us. And what I found so often in life, there's so many defeated Christians because what they are, they're people who simply work themselves into wretched or wrenched exhaustion because they think their whole purpose in life, once they become a Christian, is just to keep the law. But you know that God never demanded perfection? He never demanded perfection of you and me. Untainted morality vanished with the Garden of Eden. Last time it was seen. And that was really early on. See, we are saved by grace, but so often we think that we grow in Christ or sanctified by our own labors. Grace is not just something that saves us. God's unmerited, undeserved mercy and favor for us. The work of grace is not just simply half done. It's salvation. It's work at work in all of our lives. See, the point of Paul's miserable self-portrait was to demonstrate that humanity can no more purify itself of sin after salvation than before. Did you hear me? We can't sanctify, we can't make ourselves right anymore after salvation, before salvation than before. 
Only God can purify a soul. So the question becomes then, well, if, if our main thing as a Christian is not just to keep the law, what's our purpose? Our duty, what is our duty now as believers saved by grace? This is what scripture says in Philippians 3 verses 8 through 11. Clearly, we studied back earlier. Our primary purpose is to know Jesus Christ personally with ever deepening intimacy. Your purpose, my purpose, is to develop a close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? Are you spending time with him? Are you, are you reaching out to him? Are you having like, I love, uh, you know, the talks of scripture, praying without ceasing. Now, I don't, you don't have to pray with your eyes closed, okay? Thank goodness. Don't drive down the road with your eyes closed. Even though we've got cool new cars that can actually cause you not to run into people. I don't have one of those, but, you know, the thing is you keep your eyes open. But the thing is, is we need to have this relationship with God. And that's our primary purpose is to know Jesus Christ personally with an ever-deepening intimacy. I love what John Stott, who is a pastor, said uh, many, I don't know how many years ago he said this, but I love this quote. He said, indeed, an honest and uh, and humble acknowledgement of the hopeless evil of our flesh, even after the new birth, is the first step to holiness. To speak quite plainly, some of us are not leading holy lives for the simple reason that we have too high an opinion of ourselves. We 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 think we can do it ourselves, and we continue to try. But if, so if we read scripture, pray, meditate, journal, fast, like you, can, you need to do all those things. But you need to do it for the sole purpose of knowing the mind of Christ, not just keeping laws. And if you worship, serve, partake of communion, um, uh, spend time in a fellowship of believers, what we should learn through that is how God works through other people. See the transforming work of Jesus Christ through that. If we feed the poor, defend the weak, uh, comfort the lonely, proclaim the gospel to a broken and needy world, let us, by walking in his sandals, may it give us firsthand knowledge of the character of Jesus Christ as we see it through other people. See, let every trial and triumph bring us closer to knowing Christ's nature and understanding his purposes. That's our purpose in life. The spiritual disciplines are not a means to holiness. They're a means to knowing Christ. It's a big difference. And as we engage in these disciplines and fellowship with other believers and engage with the world at large in the name of Christ, as we come to know him more intimately, the Holy Spirit will do only what he can do. Make us more like a Savior. Like our Savior. And that's a worthy pursuit. That's a pursuit that can happen. And that's what the good news of today's message is. Yeah, you're going to struggle? Yeah. Until they shovel dirt over you. I know you love that illustration, right? I've said that a thousand times, but it's a reality. You're going to have a struggle in your mind between the flesh and the spirit. But Jesus Christ has opened the door and the way for us to overcome that. And how we do that is by coming more and more intimate and close in our relationship with him so that we can know him, love him. And the byproduct of that is we'll be keeping the law. I'm not saying that's not important, but I'm saying you know, that's not the primary thing God wants us to do. If we think we're doing great, or doing the best because we keep a few laws, we've missed the point of the gospel. God's grace continually works in our life to the day we die. Not just at salvation. So, 
What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Okay. You are here. <laughs> and right now, the thing that we're talking about this week is our mind. And we've learned that the mind, even for the Christian, is a place of a battle. That's what Paul said. He called it a battle, a war. The war between the flesh and the spirit. It's a normal process of life. But Jesus Christ, by coming into our life, has given us the potential to win that battle more often than not. He doesn't call us to be perfect. He wants us to build an ever closer intimate relationship with him. That's our purpose as believers. Is that what you're doing? If not, I encourage you to re-examine where you are. Now, this message is for believers today, but for those of you who may be here who not haven't followed Christ before, that's about as honest as we can be about this whole thing of the Christian life. You follow Christ, your life will not become perfect. Matter of fact, you're going to have a new battle going on, but the new battle is a battle worth fighting. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that new battle will lead you to things that you've never experienced before, a life that you've never experienced when God begins to work in you and build a relationship with him. And it's worth following Jesus Christ if you've never done so. And so we'd love to talk with you about that if you'd like to have more information about how to take that next step as well. And you just let us know. And we'd love to talk with you about that. But for the rest of you here who are already believers, hey, this is bad news and good news. Bad news is, never going to go away. Good news is, you can have victory over it through Jesus Christ. Not in your own work. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your love, your goodness, and your mercy. Thank you for the fact that more than anything, you... um, Your word is is straightforward. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul, who we look at and think of this great Christian leader, writer of so much that we read all the time, that we study your word that was inspired by you, God, to give to him so that he could share it with us and other people. But Paul, through his own personal way of doing things, is probably one of the most honest and revealing writers in all the Bible except for Jesus Christ. And because of that, it gives us hope, God, because so often in life when we feel like that we're Christians but we're, we're struggling and we're battling this stuff in our life that we, we feel like we're weird or maybe we really don't even have salvation. But God, it's not about keeping the law. The law made us aware of our need. And once it made us aware of our need and led us to the place where we said yes to you, the law has done its work in our lives. Now, God, our purpose is to have this intimate, personal relationship with you that we become so close to you, God, that every day that we have more of the spirit and the mind of Christ than we do of the spirit of flesh working in our the fleshly side of our life working in our lives as well. And we'll always have that. We're we're simply, God, recovering um, addicts to sin. That's the best we can be. But we can stay in recovery if we'll allow you to work in our lives. Guide us now this week, God, and all we do is say that we would just honor you with our lives. That we would each day guard our minds 
from all the things that would cause us to be distracted or, or focus on the things that would pull us down. God, we know what they are. And so help us, God, to continually do those things which would uh, build us up and encourage us toward having that mind of Christ, that uh, spirit of, of God living within us, being the thing that overcomes everything else every day. And God, when we do fail, when we do give into the flesh, may we go to you with repentance right away and, and true, true uh, ask you for, for your forgiveness because you're faithful and just to forgive us of all sin when we're repentant of that as well. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.